0: Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com/give. How many of you know uh, personally know a member of the Crum family? Please raise your hand. Okay. We have uh, the joy of having Mr. and Mrs. Crum with us, David and Jill, this morning. And David Crum will be preaching for us this morning. David is the pastor of Bishop Cummins Reformed Episcopal Church in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, I think it looks like his whole family is here today. Is that right? Is that pretty much? Well, more or less. Yeah, Peter's probably not here. So close. So we're very glad to have you, brother. Uh, please come and um, open your hearts to Pastor Crum as he preaches to us. I want to begin by inviting you to come before the Lord with me once again in prayer. And I'm going to be praying a portion of a prayer from a book called The Valley of Vision the title of this prayer is A Convert's First Prayer. Now, why would all of we all of us pray a convert's first prayer? Well, join me as we pray. My Father. I could never have sought my happiness in thy love unless. Thou hast first loved me. Thy spirit has encouraged me by grace to seek thee, has made known to me thy reconciliation in Jesus, has taught me to believe it, has helped me to take thee for my God and portion. May he grant me to grow in the knowledge and experience of thy love, And walk in it all the way to glory. Blessed forever be thy fatherly affection, which chose me to be one of thy children by faith in Jesus. I thank thee for giving me the desire to live as such. In Jesus, my brother, I have my new birth. It is by thy spirit I call thee father. It is by thy spirit I believe in thee. It is by thy spirit that I love thee. Strengthen me inwardly for every purpose of my Christian life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. I found when I traveled here, I didn't bring a Bible with me. Pretty bad for a pastor not to bring a Bible. But you know, when you have a Kindle, you don't need to bring a Bible with you because I have a couple translations of the Bible right here. And I want to begin by reading for you a scripture text from from Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. Now this is... uh, John, the Apostle, being given by Jesus Christ this revelation, this revealing of God of what is yet to come. And we, when we come to the 21st chapter, this is what John writes. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any seed. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among them, among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now, in some situations where you only say and read the positive things, we would stop right there. But I'm not stopping right there. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This is the Word of God. It is true. It is eternally true. I can't remember if it was Monday night or Tuesday night. I was sitting watching either a basketball game or football game, and I got a phone call, and it was Tim Bailey. Tim Bailey hasn't called me on the phone for I don't know how long. But I knew that uh, arrangements had been made for my family to stay at his house, so I thought Tim was calling to say something to me about uh, not breaking too many things while we were staying in their house. But that wasn't it. Tim was calling to say that the um, elders had voted, and he was calling to... Invite me to come and preach today. And I said, Tim, it's like 8.30 at night. I'm very tired. This is not the time to ask me if I'm going to preach. I can't even think about that. Plus, I'm going to be on vacation. You know, and if you're on vacation, you want to have a good time. You want to relax. And come Saturday, my family's going to get together and how can I be thinking about preaching? But I said, you know, what, a, what an offer, what an invitation. I'll call you back tomorrow morning. Then remembering that it was Tim, I said, I won't call very early. You know, I'll, I'll wait till like 10 or 10.30. Tim said, no, I've changed my ways. You, you can call earlier. Oh, but I don't get real good reception at my house, so just leave a message if you don't get me. <laughs> Yeah, all right. So then I said, Well, I mean, what would I preach about? And he said, You know, just just pull out one of your old sermons. I said, I'll pull out one of your old sermons. That would be better. He said, No, uh, you know, what have you been preaching on recently? And so I told him that during Advent, I had wanted to preach to those who would be visiting the church who are not believers. And so I had a series that each of the sermons began with the the question, why? And I said I had just preached the sermon called, Why Should I Want to Have Eternal Life? Why should I want to have eternal life? And Tim said, That would be a good sermon. Why should I desire eternal life? Stop and think about this. There are people who, um, they're not too crazy about this life. Why would they want eternal life? And yet this is one of the two major aspects of the Christian message. The other one is forgiveness of sin that this is what coming to Christ brings, forgiveness of sin. But the other is, coming to Christ brings eternal life. And some people would say, I don't want it. We all view life, this life or the next, in various ways. Perhaps, even as many different ways as there are people. One per- person looks at life and thinks, Life is good. Some of you may be thinking that right now after having a nice time of uh, celebration with family. Life is good. This person reflects on his childhood and regards it with great satisfaction. He would say, I had a happy home, good friends, a sound education. I had an excellent preparation for becoming an adult. And now as an adult, he says that he likes his job. He enjoys his free time. You know, he can go to IU basketball games and go golfing. He enjoys his free time. And he looks forward to the foreseeable future. Life is good. In terms of eternal life, he may either expect that life after death will simply be more of the same, more of what he has been accustomed to, or he may think that this life is all there is. You know, you only live once, so enjoy life while you can. Once this life ends, that's all there is. Another person looks at her life and thinks, life stinks. This woman says, my childhood was a mess. My father abused me. My mother was constantly working or constantly high on drugs or constantly depressed or you fill in the blank. I feel like no one cared for me. Certainly no one ever loved me. I don't even know what love is. And then this person says, adult life is no better. If anything, it may be worse. You can't trust anyone. Everyone just uses me. I'm tired all the time. I'm alone and lonely. And as far as eternal life is concerned, who would want eternal life? I'll be glad when this life is over. Although, I admit... I am scared when I think of the prospect of death. Why would I want to live forever, eternal life? You've got to be kidding me. Now I imagine that there are those in this room who fit that first category, life is good. But I imagine that many of us fall somewhere between those two extremes. When it comes to eternal life, most of us in this room have pleasant and and encouraging images of eternal life. And often it's uh, very romanticized. Oh, I'm going to see Uncle Fred. I'm going to see my grandmother and my grandfather. And I'm going to see this person and that person. As if heaven is... Separated into ghettos. There's the 20th century Bloomington, Indiana ghetto. You know, and all of us from the 20th century, we get to be with those from the 20th century Bloomington or your relatives wherever they were. And we forget all about those other centuries and all those other believers from all over the world as if they don't really matter. What really matters is that I get to be with my loved ones. That's our view of heaven, of eternal life. What is eternal life? And why should I desire it? Before I say much about eternal life, let me say something about life. Actually, about life as God intended it to be. In the very first book of the Bible, in the very first chapter of that first book, we catch our first glimpse of life as God intended it to be. Once God had created from nothing the heavens and the earth, the planets, the stars, the sun and the moon, God created life. Now of course God was already alive. He has always existed. But in terms of life as we know it, God first formed other creatures to fill the earth, and he gave them life. He referred to these as living creatures. Then God created man. He formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and and man became what? A living being. God gave man life. Man was a breathing, feeling, thinking, communicating being whom God had made, as God put it, in our image, according to our likeness, to rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth. Life for man, as it was originally intended by God, meant that man would live in close contact with God Ruling over, tending to, maintaining God's creation. And God's assessment of this creation was that it was very good. The only thing God determined not to be good was that the man was alone. So God took one of the ribs of the man and fashioned it into a woman and brought her to the man. Now the man was complete. Life was indeed good. Very good. This was life as God intended it. This was life before man fell into sin. Thus man, as he was originally created by God, lived in fellowship with God, in fellowship with his wife, and in fellowship with all God's creatures free of sin. The entrance of sin changed life. And so we don't know what life is apart from the presence of sin. And yet we still at times regard life as good. But life as we know it can never be regarded as good by God because of the presence of sin. Because we are all sinners, we have come to fix standards on what is and what is not good that are not in keeping with God's standards. Without even considering the very foul things in our world, such as prostitution, enslavement, murder, adultery, abortion, and similar gross sins, without even considering those, We who are professed Christians, we who say we are followers of Jesus Christ, we still are guilty of discontent. We've just exchanged Christmas gifts. And maybe you, you even got some really nice gifts and you might even have gotten the things you wanted. But there's always something more, isn't there? There's always something you don't have. There's still always something that you'd like to have. We have this sin of discontent. Also, neglect of people in need. And you may be really good at volunteering at the community kitchen, of helping others that you see who are in need, but still, there are times, let's face it, we neglect those who are in need. It may be people within our own families. We have jealousy toward one another. It's commonplace. And yet it's sin. We also fail to worship God. I mention that here in this worship service. And I have to say, I'm about as guilty as, of this as anybody could be this morning. While you're waiting to preach, especially when you're a guest preacher, you know, this isn't my pulpit. You aren't my congregation. You're waiting to preach. You're thinking about all kinds of things during the process in which we're supposed to be worshiping. And so I'm sitting back there. I wasn't worshiping. I was, I was getting ready I was asking the Lord to get me ready. And so maybe that was a form of worship that wasn't part of the congregational worship. But how many times do you come here on a Sunday morning and you leave and you haven't worshiped? It's probably more times that that happens than that you leave and you have truly worshiped. We fail to truly love God, to truly honor Him as God. We fail to truly obey God. He is God. We're not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And yet we are saved to do works. We are saved to honor our God, to follow our God, to obey our God. And that's part of our worship of God. And we fail. And we fail to bear witness to Him. And that's part of our worship of Him. If we don't witness to Him, we're not truly worshiping Him. And there are many other everyday sins that we are guilty of. This is life as we know it. And still, many of us would say, life is good. That's our definition of good, not God's. Eternal life, however, is not simply a continuation of life as we know it, or even life on a slightly higher level. Eternal life, the life Jesus came to provide for us through his life, death, and resurrection, has to do with life as God originally intended it to be, and this time for all eternity. And so Jesus told his disciples shortly before his death on the cross. And here's our next passage. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you... I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, here is um, an insight into eternal life. Jesus saying, where I am, there you may be also. The Apostle Peter wrote this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy... Has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Born not of the blood, nor the will of man, nor the flesh, born of God, caused to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled. And will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, I don't know if this just um, sounds like some great speech to you. Instead, listen to the Word of God. The Apostle Paul wrote, And here he's thinking of our experience in this life and the experience we have in the life to come. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. That's our Experience now. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, the last Adam, that is Jesus Christ, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the Of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Very precious to us is the idea of covenant and and the covenant relationship that God has with families. And still, no one is a son of God simply because. His mother or father is a believer. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. We'll not all die. And by that, of course, what Paul has in mind is when Jesus returns, there will be those who are still alive. They'll be given new bodies, they'll be changed. But they will not have died. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality... Then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, wrote in the text, that I already read this morning. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Now, that statement, there is no longer any sea, is very troubling to people. Uh, members of my church back in Baltimore, a number of them have um, summer homes, they call them summer homes. Uh, in Oceanside, Maryland, and in Delaware. They call them summer homes, but they seem to be gone almost every weekend. They go to these homes. They love to go to the shore. They love to go to the beach. Then they read, and there is no longer any sea. Does that mean that in this new heaven and new earth, there's no ocean, there's no sea? Here, it's an image for for the people of biblical times, the sea represented danger. The sea represented turmoil. It was a threat to people. And what he's saying is, in this life that we we will experience, where there is no death, we won't be faced with fear and danger and turmoil. There is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Now, of course, this morning, since I'm not Phil Henry, I won't take the time to exposit all of these texts. But I wanted to read these texts because I wanted you to get something of, of a sense of this life that is promised to us And that this is the life we yet have awaiting us. And it's not this life. And it's not just a higher level of this life. It's something so much greater. We must believe that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. This place is an inheritance that Jesus has obtained for us through his death and resurrection. We can't earn it, and and we shouldn't even try to earn it. He has earned it. It's a place He has provided. And it is ours as a result of our faith in Him. We believe in Jesus even as we have believed in God. We believe that Jesus is God, the Son, who came to give us life, even as Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they may know you, not know of you. This is having an intimate knowledge, relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, an intimate knowledge, relationship of the living, the true God, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is something we receive by being born again. Each of us, each person in this room has experienced birth, physical birth, having been born of our mother. Those who receive eternal life are born a second time. This is a spiritual birth by which we become heirs of God. This birth ultimately results in eternal life, a life in which we exchange our natural body for a spiritual body, our perishable body for an imperishable body, and death is overcome. And then we will live as the first man and woman lived before the entrance of sin. God, in the physical person of his Son, Jesus Christ, will tabernacle, will dwell with us. I believe once we enter that kingdom of heaven, forgive me, but I believe we could care less about our grandmother and grandfather and mother and wife and husband. The Lord Jesus will be there. And we will be with him. And not only be with him, we will be like him. Which means everyone else who is there will be like him. You, you look around here and there are people that mean a lot to you. They're, they're close to you. You love them. And there are others you, you hardly even know. And perhaps some you don't know at all. M- many of you don't know me. I don't know you. We have an eternity to spend in the kingdom of God. Eternal life. Not 30 years, not 70 years, not 90 or, you know, 110, but eternity. And an eternity to spend with all people who will be like Christ. And we will love each other perfectly. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. Our life will not only be truly perfect, but our life will be holy, pure, incorruptible. And so will be the lives of all those who will be present with us. Why should we desire eternal life? In the first place, We should desire eternal life because this is what God intended for us when he created man. His design was that man would live with him and with one another in perfect harmony and in complete holiness with the utter absence of sin and all that results from it. We should also desire eternal life because of what the alternative is. And this is what I would like to say to those who today do not believe. All this pie-in-the-sky stuff. You know, that's what you always talk about as Christians. And I think, all right, then let's consider the alternative. Perhaps you've heard the comedian who said, I wouldn't want to be in heaven. None of my friends are going to be there. They're all going to be in hell. Not realizing that part of what hell is, is that it is a place where there are no friends. All those who were your friends in this life may be in hell, but they won't be your friends there. Because you see, even among sinners and wicked people and the most violent creatures on the face of the earth, there is still common grace. And common grace allows violent people to be friends to violent people. Murderers to be friends of murderers. Sex traffickers to be friends of sex traffickers. But in hell, there will be nothing except enmity between one another. You think all your friends will be in hell? They won't be friends there. The Apostle John wrote this in Revelation 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the book's according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. All will stand before the judgment seat of God, and books will be opened. These books contain God's records of all we have ever done, all we have ever said, and all we have ever thought. If any of you have ever done Evangelism Explosion, EE, you you think of this book of of a person's life. And here's the book that in this book is written everything you've ever done, said, and thought. Now, in that book, there's some good things. You've done some good things. You've said some good things. You've even thought some good things. But let's face it, there are some things in that book you wouldn't want anyone to ever see, and God's going to open up that book. God will judge us according to what is written in these books. And let's face it, no matter how good you think you may have been, God will read of your sin, and you will stand condemned. But then, there is also the book of life. Praise God, there is the book of life. In this book, God has recorded the names of all those who have placed their trust, not in what they have done, but have placed their trust in Jesus Christ not in what they have done, but in what Christ has done for them. These are they who have believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If your name is written in this book, you will be forgiven of the sin that is recorded in the book of your life. If your name is not written in this book, this indicates that you have not trusted in Jesus Christ when you came to die. You may have celebrated Christmases, you may have enjoyed Christmas concerts and giving and receiving Christmas gifts, you may even have attended church regularly, even religiously, but if you have not trusted in Christ, repenting of your sins and relying on him for the forgiveness of your sins, for the removal of your sins, then your sins will remain and you will stand condemned. And then these words, there in that last verse that I read from Revelation 21, these words will apply. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars and the list of sins could go on because it covers all of us. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Why should I desire eternal life? Why do we as Christians make such a big thing about having eternal life? Because this is what God made us for in the first place, to live with him forever in righteousness and holiness, in perfect peace and pure love, In uninterrupted happiness and true joy. So that we can experience life and be delivered from death. So that instead of being tortured for our sin, we can be transformed into the likeness of Christ ever living with him. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive king. Have you received Jesus Christ as your king? Have you trusted in him as your savior? Do you believe he suffered and died for you? If not, receive him today. Trust in him today. Believe in him and live. Know for certain that whoever believes in him has eternal life. And there is nothing you should desire more for yourself, for your children, for your husband, for your wife, for your neighbors, for anyone. There is nothing you should desire more than eternal life. Life with God. Life. In Christ, let us pray. Father, in this life, we find ourselves always wanting more and more. And we like to be comfortable. We like to be well-fed, well-clothed, nice cars. We like to have fun. We like to be entertained. Perhaps we Even think of heaven as a boring place. And we're not sure we're going to like it there. Help us to realize, Lord, that it is really our sin that makes us think that way. May we desire you and to be in your presence to be with you, to be like you more than anything. And may we desire that not only for ourselves, but for everyone we ever meet. I desire this, Lord, for my children and grandchildren. I desire this for my neighbors, many of whom act as if they don't need you, Thank you, Lord, as I prayed to begin with. Thank you for revealing yourself to me. Thank you for revealing yourself to those in this room who know you and love you. And now, O Lord, work in us by your Spirit that we may live for him who died for us and who rose again even for Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray.